everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with uh, Rob Henderson and uh, Mark Andreessen, and we're going to talk about The Shield, a show that I just finished and had a large impact on me. I just finished it in the last few weeks. Uh, Rob, when did when did you watch The Shield? Uh, I've watched the whole series twice. Uh, so once I watched uh, about 11 years ago, uh, not, not too long after it, 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 it finished on the air. And then, uh, over the lockdowns, uh, like a year and a half ago, I, I rewatched the entire thing. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was even better the, the second time around. Uh huh. How about you, Mark? So I watched it when it was first on. And, um, it's the, fr- I remember it actually quite clearly because it's the first show I ever binged. Um, so I was in it. I was in it. I was an investor in, um, the TiVo that didn't make it. I was an investor in something called Replay TV, which co-invented the, <laughs> the DVR way back when with TiVo. And so I had one of the first replay TV units and the shield was one of the first shows I recorded. Um, and I just let it pile up. I just, I wasn't paying attention. I let it pile up for 13 episodes. And then I started the first episode like Friday night at like six o'clock. And I think I finished like, you know, Saturday morning at like 4 a.m. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> it was, it was completely, it was completely blown away the first season. So this was 2002 huh. then. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's a very bingeable, the, the, especially like right after the pilot, you want to keep watching more. Because the pilot, like the ending comes so out of left field compared to like basically every other cop show ever, right? Like, was this the first cop show with an anti-hero as the protagonist? So, yeah. So the, yeah, we're going to have a lot of spoilers here. So if anyone was intrigued by the shield, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about it. Yeah. Okay. So the first episode, yeah, something interesting happens and um, anti-hero as the protagonist. So we have like, I guess we had a fundamental disagreement who are you supposed to be rooting for are you supposed to be rooting for vic Mackey and his friends or are you supposed to be rooting against them well i i think the the genius of the show is that like there's no there's no right answer to that and i think like the show kind of plays this game the same thing that david chase did with the sopranos where like you have this extremely charismatic anti-hero and you can't help but be won over by them but then at the very end the show like you know condemns the audience for falling in love with them and 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 uh going along with their escapades and and, and like each uh, each season the the protagonist does like ever like commits ever more egregious transgressions to like get the audience to finally change their attitude towards them but i think like early on this show is interesting because it like vic Mackey's first act is like so uh like over the top and so you know generally unforgivable like a cop killing a fellow officer like you know that i think that is the you know one of the it's shocking right it's such a shocking act and the fact that he does win you over despite that to me was was an interesting aspect of the show so so i'll jump on my hobby horse right up front so i think you're obviously supposed to root for vic i think you're obviously supposed to root for him from the very first scene to the very last scene um i think that you are it it, it, you know much like we discussed around um around uh breaking bad better call Saul. like it, it is it is it is it is the story of the Nietzschean Superman. Um, uh, you know, it is the dark side of the Superman, which is the only side we're allowed to see. But it is the Superman, mm-hmm. and we have an instinctive reaction um, at, at a very primal level to root for the Superman, and he's put there in all of his glory, and there he goes. And theres I don't think there's any ambiguity about who we're supposed to root for. Yeah. So, so you don't think the murder of Terry Crowley is uh, <laughs> like that? That wasn't uh, something that you should, you know, second, you know, second guess your 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 perception of, of Vic. Well, I mean, from, from again, I'll be on my hobby horse right from the beginning. I mean, from a Christian morality standpoint, of course, absolutely. You know, from mm. a from a uh, from a slave morality standpoint, no question. 
from a mass morality <laughs> standpoint, like he, he probably had to go, hmm. right? Like he was standing yeah. in the way of the Superman, like he was standing in the way of the maintenance of order on the streets. Um, he was standing in the way of the realization of the potential um, of, of, of Vic Mackey. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, and it's well known. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's well known. It's, I mean, it's a trope, right? The, 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 you know, probably was a rat. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we know from, we know from 50 years of, of, you know, predecessor, uh, shows and movies that, you know, uh, internal affairs is bad. Um, and, uh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I guess. And, you know, and, and, yeah, just to, just to articulate for people who didn't hear my earlier speech on this from, from better call Saul, um, you know, look, there, there's an entire missing, this, this will be my, my, my claim, right? There, there, there's an entire missing genre that we're not allowed to see, which is the, the, the fully realized Superman. Right. And so they we're not, we're not, not allowed to see the positive version of this. We're not allowed to see Napoleon. We're not allowed to see, you know, the people building the, the pyramids. We're not allowed to see Alexander the Great. We're not allowed to see, you know, um, the, the sort of, you know, heroic version of it. We're, 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 we live in a fallen world, right? A world saturated with, 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 with slave morality. And we're, we're only allowed to see the, the, the dark, you know, the dark version so that we can let ourselves, you know, off the hook later on. Um, you know, after, after the fact, we can say, well, we weren't really rooting for him. But of course, we were. Hmm. So what would Sam Bankman fried think about um, Vic Mackey? He would be in favor, right? Because what? He kills Crawley, who's standing, as, as Mark says, in the, you know, he's standing in the way of law and order. And everything he's doing is, is for the greater good. I mean, so there, I, I don't, I don't think you have to be, you know, you know, like Breaking Bad, like Walt is a net negative to the world. He's going around killing people. He's, he's, you know, selling uh, higher quality drugs. Um, Vic Mackey, if he doesn't exist, you get the impression that Los Angeles would be Caracas. I mean, that it would be, you know, it, nothing would work. And these, you know, it's like these politically correct people like Aceveda who wants to have like, you know, cross, you know, just wants to run for office and, uh, you know, cross every T and dot every I before they get each warrant. Like you're just given the impression that that just can't work, that that's just not functional. And it's these white under appreciated white males who are, uh, you know, at the bottom <laughs> of the hierarchy that are just sort of, you know, keeping us from living in the jungle. I mean, that seems to me, that seems to me the, the, the message of the show. Well, there are scenes in, uh, I think it was season four, season five, where they pull Vic and the strike team off of, uh, uh, street duty. And crime does skyrocket, and Claudette gives this, uh, you know, one of the more famous scenes in the show. She gives this rant in the captain's office. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, the, 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 the skinny white guy who's like the, the substitute captain. He's very ineffectual, kind of pathetic. But, you know, she's, she's dressing them down, what? saying like, you know, crime is rising in the city because we're not doing anything. And, uh, you know, some, you know, someone in the office says, well, actually, you know, our, our stats suggest that crime is decreasing. And Claudette says that's because like the citizens don't trust the police anymore and they're not reporting crimes. Uh, and, and the show pretty clearly links the, the, you know, the, the, the absence of Vic to the rise in, in crime. And the, the, the creator of the show, Sean Ryan, you know, in some interviews, he's actually said like the, the strike team is based on a real life police unit in Los Angeles who actually did reduce crime. But they themselves also sort of became criminals in the process. And, you know, I guess like this, isn't this a sort of a Nietzschean idea of like becoming the monster you're fighting? And the shield actually has that episode, right? The co-pilot episode where you see the beginning of Vic's, uh, uh, descent into, into the darkness, uh, where they, they, they first commit like their, their series of crimes as, as police officers and how this changes them. And, and each crime becomes ever more, uh, uh, egregious. Well, so there's a deep backstory, and we we should probably spend some time on this because it's very relevant to actual current events. But there's 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 a very deep backstory right behind the show, which is the actual history of law enforcement in Los Angeles, 
right? And the, and the role of the LAPD. And there's, there, you know, there's a, <clears throat> there's a very long version of this, but I'll just give the brief abridged version, right? Which is LA was basically a newly created city in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the people who ran it at that time decided that they simply were not going to tolerate organized crime. Um, and so they basically, you know, greenlit the LAPD from a very early stage um, to basically prevent organized crime from taking root in LA. And they basically authorized them to do whatever it took to do that and to, and to keep order. Um, and so that, that the, 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 the cliche on this that uh, people have said is that um, the New York police department, right. By legend uh, is corrupt, but not violent. Right. Whereas the LAPD is violent, but not corrupt. Right. The LAPD just had this like extremely aggressive approach, uh, you know, towards towards, you know, maintaining order, like as, as, as ordered by the people running the city. Um, you know, that that played out over the decades, um, you know, and you could you could argue the puts the puts and takes of that all, all, all the way through. Um, the, the, the true backstory of the show that you alluded to is that in the 1970s, uh, crime started to really take off and in particular gang activity right, started to take off and in particular gang activity, you know, kind of around the South Central L.A. area, which is where the, the show is set. Um, and so in real life, LAPD created this thing called the crash unit, which is crash was the acronym. <laughs> it was actually originally called the trash unit, by the way, they had a T-R-A-S-H acronym. And then it actually got criticized because it made it sound like being a gangbanger was like really cool. <laughs> like you were like, you know, um, and what so was they- the T in that acronym? Cause the CR <laughs> it's a, it was community resources against street hoodlums, but what was the, what was the T like T? Yeah. It's, on, it's on Wikipedia, you know, it's some okay. other, you know, it's on something. Yeah. They, they wanted to have it be was taking out the trash. But then it made being the tra- being the trash you know was cool. So they, they had an early 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 burst of PC um, at the time and uh, turned into the crash unit. Um, and then they ran for um, you know they ran for you know thirty years basically with this sort of extremely like ramped up aggressive level you know in particular and then in particular the response to the, to the crack epidemic and the huge spike in violence that corresponded to that. And, and look, a lot of people in if you read the accounts of the time, a lot of people in LA just like in other cities, you know, in the 1980s saw this giant spike in violence and they're just like, look, we're just not having it. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to support the LAPD in, in, in cracking down. Um, and then there was this turn, right. That happened in the 1990s, um, which there's a couple different ways of looking at it. Um, you know, the thing that's been well established is the crack unit, uh, sorry, the crack unit, the crash unit that was uh, going after the crack gangs, um, you know, basically ended up with this contingent of, of basically law breaking cops and, there was this particular connection to uh, Suge Knight um, and to Death Row Records at the time, um, where uh, one of the things that caused the, the, the ramp, what became known as the Rampart scandal around the crash unit to break open with all these corrupt cops was basically these, these cops were working off duty for Death Row Records. And so Suge Knight basically had his own private army. Um, you know, 40 or 50 LAPD cops who he could kind of order to do whatever he wanted. And there's lots of accusations around, you know, different things involving murders of like Tupac Shakur and, you know, Biggie Smalls mm. and so forth. Around that. And so anyway, the, the Rampart scandal was like the full kind of an, 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 an unraveling of that. Um, some people believe, um, you know, that it's just kind of Suge Knight took advantage of a corrupt unit and just kind of hired them. Um, some people have a different story. And I don't know if this is true, but the other story that you will hear if you talk to people who are around in that era um, is that Suge Knight actually infiltrated gang members into LAPD, into the crash unit. Oh. Um, Suge Knight was associated with the Bloods at the time, and so there, there's a theory, at least, that people will will, will talk about, uh, which is basically after the Rodney King beating, the LAPD embarked on a big push to diversify its ranks because there was a lot of racial politics at the time, um, and the Suge Knight was basically able to get 40, 50, 60 Blood, you know, basically gang members on LAPD into the crash unit, um, and that led to the thing. And, and in fact, when the crash unit kind of you know unraveled when the Rampart scandal happened. 
um, you know, the, the original, the, 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 the cop who actually first turned was, uh, actually Puerto Rican by, by ethnic background. And then a lot of the, the crash cops were black, uh, which is, you know, and they were kind of part of this, but part, part of Shug Knight's whole world. Um, anyway, so that, that's the backdrop. The, the show did this very kind of interesting inversion, which is it made the, the, the equivalent of the crash unit, the strike team, it made them white. Um, and so the show starts with this sort of conceit that's basically not very much based on reality, which is, you know, it, it made it a story of, of bad white cops as opposed to bad black or bad Puerto Rican cops. Um, but, uh, you know, which, which, which plays out in all kinds of interesting ways. Uh, but anyway, the, my, my main point is like, there was this backstory back, back to the thing on, on sort of the, the trade-off of having somebody like Vic Mackey on the streets. There, there was this, this thing, this massive surge in violence did happen. Um, and the leadership of LA and the leadership of LAPD and a large part of the population of LA said, we were, we are not going to have this. We are going to green light cops to be much more aggressive. And it was in the tradition of LA that they did that. Uh, and then, of course, violence in L.A. fell dramatically in the 90s and 2000s, right? And you could argue, right, lots of different arguments today as to why that happened. Sitting here today, violence in L.A. is, like, spiking like crazy, right? Um, and, like, violence in South Central L.A. is, like, full on. Like, the gangs are greenlit. Like, there is all kinds. There's, like, 15 active street gangs, and they are going crazy. And they're basically greenlit to do all kinds of things, home invasions and robberies and, you know, inter-gang battles and, like, so so – so we're, we're back in like some version of like 1975 or 1982 or something where like crime is like once again out of control. There was just a, a mayor's race in LA where there was a, an anti-crime mayor, you know, Rick Caruso who lost and then uh, Karen Bass who sort of wants to continue the, let's say criminal justice reform efforts of the last, you know, five or 10 years. Um, you know, she just got inaugurated yesterday. Um, and so I think every expectation is the high crime levels in LA will continue. Uh, anyway, I go through this to say I think I, I think we're actually in real time regenerating the circumstances that led to the events that inspired the show. So I think I think history I think history is highly likely to repeat itself again. Does that mean that you think that there will be like another another crash team, another like uh, uh, anti gang unit uh, that will perhaps become corrupt? Well, yeah. So, yeah. Well, so that will be, that will be an effect. So the, the, to go through the cause quickly. So the causal chain, and, and I'm just extrapolating from history, right? I'm not, I'm just, I'm extrapolating from what's happened repeatedly through LA history, including in the seventies and eighties, which is very well documented. Um, by the way, there's a great, there's a particularly, there's a great story about all this in the New Yorker about 20 years ago, back, back when they would talk about these things, um, (laughs) which kind of goes through the whole history here for people who want to see it. And there's a frontline documentary based on that work. That's actually quite interesting. It goes through it all, but, um, but basically, I'm just extrapolating off history, but the, what, the, what the cycle looks like to me basically is, you know, you implement a set of social policies that may be good or bad, but, you know, for whatever reason coming out of them comes this massive ramp up in violent crime. Um, you know, the sort of good people of Los Angeles, you know, tolerate that for a while, um, you know, for all the reasons that, you know, you kind of see playing out in the news every day. Um, and then, you know, at some point they just say enough. Um, and at some point they elect politicians who basically say we're going to crack down on crime. A lot of people, by the way, in L.A. thought that that was going to happen with this mayoral election. They thought that Rick Caruso was going to elect, get, get elected on an anti-crime platform. It turns out he lost. So so it didn't happen this time. So in this theory, basically, the, the, the crime the crime in L.A. will get even worse. Um, the, the people will say no more. They'll elect politicians who will promise to crack down on it. The politicians will then greenlight the LAPD to do what is required to crack down on it. The LAPD will then become much more aggressive in their policing. As part of that, I think they're likely to recreate something like, the you know, They'll create units like the strike team and they'll put them on the street and they'll be chartered with what Dick Mackey in the show is chartered with, which is, you know, establish order. Right. Ba- basically. Right. And, and the, the full version of it is run, you know, crime in L.A. in order to prevent crime in L.A. from running out of control like that. That's right. That's the full version. Right. What was the, the model. 
Is this is this the real same story? Because you just said they made them white, but okay, there's a lot that's not in common. There's no sugar knight. There's no actual connection to any gang, right? There, uh, and also, I don't know if this was part of Ramparts. I mean, did they, you know, were sugar knights uh, guys? Were they actually keeping order? I mean, were they were they the same people? The you know the Ramparts were they were they actually doing a good job, or were they just taking advantage of a situation and sort of you know getting what they what they could? Like, was there a sympathetic case for the for the uh, guys involved in that scandal? Because there's a sympathetic case for Vic Mackey. I don't know if that's what it's like in real life. Well, you know, pull out your Rothbard, right? Like, is government the biggest gang, right? So, like, like, so I don't know. The dystopian view on this or something is like government's the biggest gang. Therefore, you want the police to be on the streets. You want the police to be the biggest gang, right? Um, you know, there's going to be a gang, and you want it, you know, there's going to be a dominant gang. You want it to be the cops. Um, you know, you want them to keep things under control. There is going to be, you know, the the theory goes. I'm not endorsing it, but the theory goes right. There's going to be some level of crime. Right. Um, there's, you know, there's going to be people who want illegal drugs. There's going to be people who engage in other activities. Um, and either it's going to be overseen and controlled or it's not. Um, you know, the crash unit arrested a lot of people. Now, you know, probably what was happening was they were arresting a lot of crips, right? Like they were probably arresting a lot of their, you know, to, to the extent that the crash unit and the bloods are kind of interconnected, which is kind of what you get in the history. You know, they were they were probably arresting a lot of their, you know, opponents, um, uh, you know, gang members of their of their opponent gangs. You know, Roth, Rothbard would say, well, of course they were the, you know, they're, you know, that's what you get. Like government is a gang, they arrest the other gangs. Um, well, you know, show, the, the show did did depict this, right, where uh, like like Vic was partnering with local like there, there was no Suge Knight figure, but within the show. Uh, yeah. Vic was partnering with a lot of gang leaders. And then in real life, my understanding was, at least from what I've read, the crash unit was effective or seemingly effective in that, like, you know, their rise coincided with a decrease in, in overall crime, uh, perhaps because they were partnering with some gangs and, and arresting members of, of, of rival gangs. And that's kind of what Vic does, right? Like he, he agrees to partner with drug lords and criminal leaders, uh, and allow them to, to sell drugs on the streets and, and arrest their, their adversaries in, in part because like, you know, the, the partnerships that Vic forms are profitable for himself, right? Like these, these gang leaders give him a cut of their, their profits and Vic agrees to look the other way and not arrest them and instead, uh, arrest, uh, you know, their, their rivals. Well, there was a New York Times Magazine article just this week. I said it to Rob. Uh, Mark, have you, have you seen it? The, it's, it's about Mexico. The U.S. arrested, um, uh, a year or two ago. Um, under Trump, they arrest, I think under Trump or maybe, maybe right when Biden came to office, but they arrested the, uh, like the former Secretary of Defense of Mexico. And the New York Times Magazine uh, article about this was about the, uh, the investigation that led up that led up to this. And they ended up, you know, it was a diplomatic nightmare and they ended up, uh, they ended up letting the guy go. Um, but the, the buildup to it was these local politicians in Mexico. There's a Mexican state called, uh, Nayarit. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, but basically they, there were these, uh, there was like a governor and like an attorney general of the state that had something like this. They were basically working with the cartels where they would tell them, don't, uh, commit, you know, violence, uh, keep, keep the crime to a minimum. And they would get kickbacks from the, uh, they would get kickbacks from the gang and they would support their uh, campaign and so on. And the U.S. would go and like arrest these politicians. And often these politicians were like keeping order. You know, the U.S. would do this as part of the war on drugs because they wanted to go after the cartels. And they through these guys, they they got eventually to the Secretary of uh, Defense. Uh, so it's sort of like it was like it was just like I mean the shield exactly. It's like the, it's like people making these trade offs. And the U.S. like here is sort of like. The U.S. and, you know, the federal, like the federal government, like internal affairs, like coming to Mexico and saying, you know, you can't have this anymore. And then just arresting the guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I haven't read the specifics of this case, but you know, as you, as you say this, what comes to mind is the movie Sicario, right? And which, which, you know, basically the point of Sicario was the U.S. government basically establishing control, you know, effective control over the, over the Mexican drug trade in order to basically keep it, basically keep it from becoming overly violent. Okay. The New York Times left that part out. Is, is that what the U.S. is? Because the U.S. seems to be just making everything more violent and, and, and preventing that. Is the CIA selling crack? And that's, that would make more sense than, than what I read in the New York Times. I'm, I'm purely talking about fiction. Um, uh, uh, no, no, no broader comment. But, but, but look, like, like I think, you know, to everything we've been talking about, like, I think this, the, the big question is like, the big question underneath all this that the show I think does a great job of excavating and really putting in front of us is this, the question of the societal compact, um, mm. of, you know, government and, 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 and the people. And like, what, what is the expectation of the people with respect to the degree to which the government will basically maintain order? Um, and you know, one view of that is, you know, in the abstract, one view of that is all crime should be stamped out. Historically, that is a trajectory that, you know, ends in bad places. Um, another view on that is, you know, liberty people should be allowed to do what they want, in which case, you know, crime spills out of control, which is what's happening right now. Um, and then is, you know, and then the middle, the middle grounds, like the, you know, one middle ground is like clean policing. Right. Um, right. Um, and then the other middle ground is, you know, made, you know, basically, it, well, the term, the thin guys probably, that's the term, the thin blue line, um, you know, the thin blue line is this concept of, you know, it's the, I think one of you alluded to it. It's this thing of like, if it's not on the street, everything is going to get much, much worse. The yeah. thin well, blue line was actually coined by the LAPD. That was a, that, that is an LA, that is an LA coinage, um, <laughs> that from about, you know, 60 or 70 years ago. I think it was uh, Parker, uh, the police chief who, who said it. And, you know, that's, by the way, that's been the argument in LA. Oh, again, this is not even in current events, but over the course of the last hundred years, this is this thing about LAPD being violent, but not corrupt. This is this whole thing, which is like that, you know, they, they looked at New York and New Jersey and these other places and they said, we're just not having that. Um, and we're going to have a different compact and the citizens are going to be safer as a consequence. And like, I, and again, I'm not endorsing it, but the show does put us face to face with that challenge. And then, and then again, what I find so interesting is it, it, it is actually the same challenge, just re basically evolving uh, in front of our eyes today. Well, well, I'll, yeah. I'll give you, here's, a, here's a point. So a friend of mine who's very kind of connected through family into uh, South Central LA, into the Compton and Carson areas, um, you know, crime, you know, the crime statistics are spiking like crazy, but he, his, his estimate from all of his friends and family members in that area are violent crime rates in, in, in South Central LA right now are at least 5x what they reported. Hmm. Um, right? So they're, they're just like completely off the hook. And most crime is not reported either because they don't think the cops are going to do anything or because, you know, they're afraid of retaliation or just, you know, they at some point just take it for granted. It's just part of daily life. And so we, you know, we are returning to a state of, you know, <laughs> an, you know, relative anarchy, um, you know, in real time. Um, I'm in L.A. right now. So, like, I, you know, I feel in this city, like, that's what we're returning to. Um, and so th- th- this question is going to get re-asked uh, right in front of our eyes. Yeah, yeah. the show puts uh, Vic in an interesting position where so, – so Vic is tasked with reducing crime, but the only realistic way that Vic can do it is if he breaks the law, right? I mean, he can't he, – he has to make these partnerships – you know, like one of the obvious ones, he, he partners with, with some drug lords who agree not to sell to kids in schools, but he knows that if he arrests them, they'll be replaced with other drug lords who will sell to kids in schools. And so Vic has to make these trade-offs himself. And late, like Aceveda starts off in this sort of, uh, very sort of politically correct, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's investigating Vic. He want he, he, he suspects or perhaps knows that Vic is corrupt. But then later, when Aceveda sets his sights on city council, he basically tells Vic, like, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the numbers down. And so each character has their own sort of self-interested motives, which I find interesting in the show. Some people have compared the shield to, to the wire. 
and uh, you know both depict like cops and criminals and these sort of uh, you know it portrays them as human beings with flaws. They have good and bad aspects of their character. But the shield to me is uh, is is a sort of a more realistic depiction. Like the wire, you know, it, it depicts these these cops who are trapped in these systems outside of their control and these criminals too. But the shield is very honest with like self interested cops and criminals doing what they have to do to to succeed in the worlds that they find themselves in. Uh, and so so yeah, I mean, I think like Vic is Vic is under this intense pressure from all sides, but but he's also shown as as like enjoying it. Right. Yeah. And, and so, it, it, the show does try to like make him sympathetic with the autistic kids and with his wife and everything. But Vic himself is, uh, like I, I, you can't, you can't imagine Vic doing any other, like in any other occupation than, than being a police detective. Yeah. So you, Mark talked about the, like the 1980s, the crime. I mean, I think this stuff shows that, I mean, the crime spike in the U.S. started earlier. And I think you see the sort of the fruits of the war in court in this show. It's like you had, you know, the Miranda, Miranda rights, you could only hold. I mean, there's been reports on what policing was like before. And basically it was like, if you told Vic Mackey, do whatever you need to do to, you know, to get, uh, to clean up the streets. Now, you know, you have all these rules, you have these regulations, you fill out forms, you, you, you read them their rights, you get them, the, you get them an attorney. And, you know, it seems like the, a lot of the message of the show is like, this is, <clears throat> this is like a game. These are like, this is just like your, you know, these are your <clears throat> so-called civil liberties, right? That the courts invented in the 1960s, but basically they're just a bunch of loopholes and they're putting, you know, they're putting uh, roadblocks in the way of like, you know, people actually solving, solving crime. Like it's like, these people are like too stupid to know, like, you know, they're so stupid. Like they'll just tell you all the crimes they committed. If you like put them in a room and like play a few games with them, but like the law goes out of its way to say, you have a right to remain silent. We're going to give you an attorney. It's like, if you just didn't do that, like they would just spill their guts. Cause they're, you know, they're 80 IQs, you know, they're that stupid. Um, but you know, we, we've hindered ourselves through this, you know, through this sort of, uh, uh, you know, this, this is not like, this is not like this was seen as like, American principles. This was like invented in the 19, you know, in the 1950s and 1960s, the modern idea of, uh, uh, civil liberties. Um, and sure it had abuses, but you know, my goodness, you look at what, you know, American cities were like in the 1950s and what they were like afterwards. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's night and day. Wait, wait, the Miranda rights? Did those, like, when, when, Miranda when did rights, those? There was a case. Yeah, that was, uh, Miranda rights. It was, a, that's why they're called the Miranda rights. It was a Supreme Court yeah. case called Miranda v. Arizona. And, uh, let me see what year this was. This was 1966. Before that, wow. you know, you, you, you could, you didn't have to say, you know, your rights were made silent, blah, 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 all that stuff. You know, you could, yeah. I think like every American, like me, who grows up watching cop shows, it's like, oh yeah, that's this is just like a natural like part of like American. George Washington, like, <laughs> yeah, George Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, you know, like they they had those back then, man. You know, uh, no, no I, I, I had idea that how how recent this was. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, a big yeah. deal. Very controversial all the way through the seventies into the eighties. Um, and it, it was, I mean, and the, the trope, the trope in the media in the seventies and eighties was basically criminals, quote unquote, getting out on a technicality. Um, right. And, and, you know, and look, in some cases, it probably was true. Criminals were getting out of technicality. It was also true that like there were, to, to Richard, your point, there were a lot of people who were like doing confessions with no lawyer present. Um, the, the movie, by the way, that shows the, the policing method sort of prior to in L, in LA prior to that, 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 the, the, the reforms is, uh, LA Confidential. Um, you know, which hmm. kind of, if you remember LA Confidential, if you remember the movie, there's the scene where Ed actually, the, um, the Guy Pierce character is, uh, is, uh, questioning all the suspects in the night owl, or so it was at the, 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 the murder that took place in the diner. Um, and he's doing the thing where he's going back and forth between the interrogation rooms and he's playing the audio so they can hear each other ratting each other out. Um, and you'll you know, notice that scene, no, no lawyers present. And so he's just kind of playing these idiots until they, you know, until they basically say the wrong thing. Hmm. 
again, you know, I mean, like, you know, the trade-off, right? Like, yeah, even even the idea that you would get a uh, a lawyer provided to you that was also that was not always there. Uh, let me see, Supreme Court. Uh, I used to know this uh, case, attorney for defense for defense. This well, the was ca- the cash bail. Oh, you're looking that up. The, ca- the cash bail thing that's playing out right now is kind of the new version of that, right? Because the, the the lawyer argument was an economic argument, which is some people couldn't afford lawyers, and that was unfair. Of course, the new version of that is some people can't afford bail, and so you just let everybody out. Oh. All right. Well, the one thing that the show did is they like did did any of the uh suspects ever hire lawyers? Very seldom did they no, did, they, did they you see that? No, they, they, did they? they I don't, I don't remember any of the like really who yeah, yeah I, I, I I don't think there was no, that many. Good, like that's it, you know. I'm, I'm yeah, I am trying to think of a yeah, specific like that, that very seldom happened in in the show. Uh, I mean, it seemed like every, you know, every fourth yeah. episode, Vic would unplug the camera in the interrogation room, which, you know, he wouldn't do that if there was a lawyer present. No, there was a lawyer. Uh, so there was a lot of times they would say, I want my lawyer. They would just st- stop and they're like, oh no, we can't, we can't question them anymore. That happened okay. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Vic would intimidate them into silence uh, or, or tell them like, you'll get your lawyer, but first answer these questions yeah. and. Yeah, which I guess was supposed to yeah like demonstrate the corruption yeah. of of the LAPD. I mean, Vic himself he was he was supposed to be based on so so I read an article uh, about about the, the 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 crash team or the crash unit. So Vic was based on uh, a composite of three police officers: David Mack, who was a black LAPD officer, and then uh, these other two guys who were I think they were either uh, they they were Hispanic. They might have been either Mexican or Puerto Rican. Uh, and, and yeah, it's interesting that literally all four members of the strike team are white guys. I think they're supposed to be like ethnic white guys. Like Vic Mackey is probably Irish. He, he, he retains his accent. Michael Chiklis, I think he's supposed to be from Boston. Um, and Lemansky and Gardaki, I think they're Polish, Italian. And Shane Vandrell is, uh, you know, like, like a white trash dude from the South. Uh, but they're all like working class white guys. And then the, the, the racial politics of the strike team doesn't become apparent until later when Aceveda basically forces Vic to, to, to hire a non-white member of the team. But, but yeah, like the, th- that was an interesting part to, to me too, that, that it was supported. It was like carrying on this trope of like racist white cops, but it was based on this unit that was actually not very, you know, it was not really a white, uh, I don't, police officer them, I don't think you're supposed to see them as racist white cops. I mean, you, you took a much more negative <laughs> view really to see. They're portrayed as justified racists. Like they're, you know, they're solving crimes <laughs> and they're seeing who's on the, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not like let blacks, you know, yeah. it's not like that. Well, you know, they, they just want to go with, so by the way, Gideon versus Wainwright, this is 1963. So not until then did the Supreme Court uh, rule that you have a right to a free attorney. So a lot of all this stuff is just, you know, this entire criminal justice system. But now the, um, uh, so uh, Rob, you think so you were supposed to cheer for Claudette? Like, is that what you uh, think? I, I, I think that the show does a very, uh, like, it very clearly portrays Dutch and Claudette as like the good, honorable detectives. Like, these are the, these but are the police you would want. For them. Yeah, nobody's yeah. I mean, they, well, especially nobody Dutch, right? Can, like, he's very, Dutch is, a, in their you know, yeah. Dutch is bullied, you know, he's, he's like, no guy wants to be him, but they are like, they, they never do anything unethical. I mean, okay, Dutch like chokes a cat to death in one episode, which is kind of <laughs> weird, but you know, I mean, compared to, compared to the strike team, like Dutch, he, there was one episode where Dutch almost plants evidence and then he literally drives his car back. And and uh, you know undoes what uh, you know whatever evidence he planted oh, but, because but, he's but, supposed but to be they, they are going to let 
but their ethics is gonna the crime is gonna get out of control. Claudette, like, you know, she has to go to like Vic when she's you know, when she really needs something. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's yeah. like it's like uh it's like, you know, Sam Bankman Fried would say these are these are the villains <laughs> and the strike team are the heroes. I mean the, the, there's you know, yeah. there's uh a clear utilitarian. I mean, there's a clear utilitarian. Case. Now, maybe it catches up to you in the end, right? Maybe it's yeah. like short term. Maybe in the long term, you know, in the end, he really gets screwed. And this is what I love about the show and, and how it ended. It's like I, you know, near the end, Vic tells um tells the cartel guy like, oh, you 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 got to realize is you've got a you've got a uh, uh, an action hero on your payroll. That was- <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And then that the whole watch. show was like Vic was always like untouchable. Like he always found a way out of it. And he does that at the end, but in the most poetic way possible. And that, you know, he destroys everyone else and loses, loses his family and is in a bureaucratic federal government, bureaucratic, uh, hell at the end. I mean, it was just that it was that, but it was a shocking between like, you know, he's like, he's the overman the whole time, but that he's, he's a bureaucrat. His, his suit doesn't even fit right. I mean, transform, uh, right, transformed into, into the last man, right? Overman's the last man. So on the Claudette point, I'll just make one thing on the Claudette point. So um, the show, I just rewatched the finale, the finale last night. Um, the, um, uh, the show does, if, if your thesis is correct about the Claudette arc, it does let her off the hook at the end. Um, Cause it lets her in her final confrontations with Vic. She's just like exhibits like just flat out contempt and disgust. Mm. Um, and so her, her moral culpability, you know, to the extent that you believe that she has some from indulging his tactics and techniques to keep, you know, crime under control, um, you know, she is allowed a pass at the end, um, in a way that maybe is dramatically satisfying, but I think, you know, maybe so let's just say sand, sands the edges off the, the, the moral issue. Yeah. 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 I guess Claudette is kind of, yeah, she is, she is perhaps culpable throughout the show. Now I'm thinking back to, I mean, she, she clearly um, disapproves of Vic's methods, but she does go to him at least a couple of times throughout the show. And there was, I mean, she, she also shows some loyalty to him because he's a fellow police officer when they, they, they barge in and Vic is torturing one of the suspects and like is about to stab him with like the, the needle from a police officer's badge and uh, is like about to stick it in the guy's eyeball or at least, you know, threatening to do so. And then Claudette walks in and, you know, kind of, kind of uh, brushes it aside and, uh, and doesn't uh, doesn't turn Vic in for 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 his actions. So, yeah, I guess Claudette is not a completely noble person, and and neither is Dutch for that matter. Yeah, but but they, they, are, they were hunting you know, those people who killed those cops. They were hunting people cops. So like Claudette will let like Vic like torture a guy for like a minute. Like I don't think that yeah. that's like. I think definitely you're saying you're saying even Claudette like would say you know this is okay. But that's the yeah, Rothbard. Yeah. I mean, but that's the Rothbard model, right? Which is like the police is the biggest gang. Like in, in, in the in the fictional world, when the police are attacked, all of a sudden it's a different moral regime. Yeah, because right? um, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, it, 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 you know, that's when the primal element of it's the biggest gang comes into effect. And of course, the biggest gang is not going to let itself get pushed around. And, and look, it's a totally understandable. I mean, you know, I, I think any of us would probably have the exact same reaction in the moment. Yeah. It, it, it is a it is a disconnect from the principles of you know law and order and civil liberties that we've all been trained you know are in effect. It makes sense to me that people would go along, especially in 2002 when the show aired. That that you would root for Vic just because the whole antihero genre uh, it, it was it was relatively new. But yeah, I, I think that that it's supposed to, you're, you may not even you like there's no the audience isn't necessarily meant to root for anyone. But just to sort of understand the complexities of Vic's actions and to understand that, <laughs> yes, if you, if you want, if you want like low crime rates, you have to hire a guy like this. 
but it will come with all of these negative externalities and there like you you can't have like a good guy and someone who can who can eliminate uh crime you have to Look, accept Vic, one or the Vic, other the, the that doesn't necessarily does a lot of, for him Look, the strike team does not have you know like the you know they don't comply with the warren court and they don't have you know perfect christian morality but they have a code like they they clearly they do not want innocent people to suffer like they care like a, a, a kid gets shot like in their front yard or something like they want to you know the, you talked about the wire the wire what you get is like these eastern uh and midwest cities they've just given up i mean like the wire like two kids get shot in like a, a front yard you know it just goes to like somebody's filing cabinet and they're just sitting on their computer you know that fat i keep thinking of that fat guy in the office you know uh that you know the uh you know one or two cops maybe cares but you know it's just a it's just a uh like the society has just like the entire society of baltimore has given up and the cops are just part of that and vick Mackey and like you know his they care they risk them i mean they're risking themselves it, it they're 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 living on the edge because they're doing all this stuff. They're cutting these quarters. They're getting these complaints. They're hurting their careers because, in part, yeah, they want to benefit themselves. But it's it's not mostly about the money. It's mostly because maybe you could say it's about the thrill or the excitement or whatever. But it's also because they really care about about the community. I mean, and that's uh, like so overwhelmingly. You say they don't. They Vendrell doesn't. At the end, like when they have that debate between, you see the difference between Vendrell and Vic, where uh, where you know Vic has a way out, and like all he has to do is like you know do a few things. But he's saying you know I don't want the um, the Mexican cartel to get their hooks in L.A. And then Vendrell's like uh, whatever. If it's not them, it'll be someone else. Just look out yourself. You see, Vendrell Vendrell is a bad guy. Vendrell ends up being mm. you know a, a a malicious character at the end, but. Vic and the other the other two. Um no, they're they're good guys. They're clearly good guys. I'm sorry, Rob. Yeah, I don't think so. I think like they're 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 good under the Nietzschean morality sense, but I don't think like I, I don't think that the, the 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 show is set up to make you root for them or to be on their side. I think I know that they do. Uh, and I did the first time I watched it too. You know, when I was like 20 years old watching this, I was like, this, this is, this is awesome. Like, you know, everyone loves Vic Mackey. There's like, there's a, there's this show on a Showtime Weeds, like it, it, uh, you know, the mob who sells weed, like her, her, her young children on the Showtime show were like, when, when can we watch another show with Vic Mackey? You know, like, uh, he was, like, I, I acknowledge that he is a beloved character and he's like one of the most fascinating characters on TV, but I don't think you're meant to be like, like unreservedly supporting everything he does, I think you're supposed to understand. Like this is this is the monster who fights other monsters, and to, to understand that. Well, what, what does he do? That's monster. Okay, Crawley. Okay, so okay, fine. He kills a fellow police officer right up front, which is isn't that the worst thing an officer can do? Like it's and, isn't but that it's, it's, to be not a future internal affairs. Is that right? I don't yeah. know. I think like if you're a, a cop killer, is you know like that that sort of sets him up as like just as bad He's as a gang member, right? He's defending his, I mean, he's defending his men. He's defending his family. I mean, Crowley, Crowley just wants a promotion to the, you know, to the FBI or whatever, whatever he was going to get at DOJ. Um, okay, fine. Yeah. Crowley, put that aside. Okay. Um, makes, like, many- uh, like, the, the other thing the show does well is like, there's no one else to root for either, which makes it easier to root for Vic. Like Aceveda, right? He's such a, he's such a slimy politician. Like, you know, even though he is investigating Vic and his guys, you don't want him to win. And then, so like the the one of the more interesting like what do I think villains or anti villains yeah. Kavanaugh yeah. right Forrest Whitaker's character right like you you don't want to root for him either right because he's he's also like very slimy very desperate uh, and he himself in the end is is shown to be just as corrupt as Vic in in trying to trying to get his you know trying to get him so 
uh, yeah, there's no one else in this show that can compare with like Vic Mackey's level of just no, but, like, but, uh, but, but Kavanaugh, if you want to say it, Kavanaugh's basically a saint because he comes back and he confesses to everything and says, I, I set him up and then goes to jail for it. That's, so if that's you want a saintly, you have a saintly black figure, I mean, you could cheer for if you want, but nobody, nobody does. Wait, so, so is that, is that a, a, a sort of, um, what, uh, like a, the mirror image of Vic at the end in the finale when he confesses? Cause Vic does the same thing, I guess. I mean, he well, does. He confesses to get a deal. No, uh, Vic confesses but to get a deal. Or, or Kavanaugh, he confesses because he, because he acknowledges his, his wrong. It's the right thing to right? do. It's, even though he, th- right even though he thinks Mackie's guilty. Even though he thinks yeah. Vic is guilty, he just he doesn't think that's the right way to. So if you're like a rule follower, if you're like a guy who does the right thing, I mean that's that's Kavanaugh. Uh, but people yeah. don't like that. Well, I read this uh, this interview with with Sean Ryan, the the creator of the show, and he said that actually the first uh, the first season he was worried that Vic wouldn't come across as uh, as like sympathetic enough, and so he introduced the uh, the prostitute character. What was her name? It was like Connie or something. The, the, the cracked out white chick who had a baby and like, what was like, yeah. So, so he added that, like it was, it was a weird thing, right? Because she was a very boring character. There was like a, there were a couple of interesting moments with her, but every time Vic was like, you know, she'd, she'd come into the police station, like stoned out of her mind. And he'd be like, Oh, like totally trans. Hey, are you okay? Like suddenly like patting her arm around her shoulder, giving her his coat and stuff. I was like, is this really Vic Mackey? It just like, it, it was so out of character to me for him that he was being so nice to this, uh, you know, clearly a uh, troubled person. Uh, and so, so to me, like this was, this was the creator acknowledging like, Oh, like Vic might actually be too extreme. Let me like show him being like, you know, nice to like, to the same character because not even nice to, to his wife. Right. He's always like, I got to work. He's like barely around his kids. Like there's no, no other opportunity to show Vic in a positive light really. And so they added this, this prostitute character. So to me, this is just like further evidence. Like even, even the shorter was like kind of trying to soften the edges uh, around Vic. I thought he was just having sex with her. I don't think I didn't think I mean, that much of the prostitute. He was having sex with Blackboard. No, 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 come on. He was. Well, you said he wasn't. No, no, no. With with uh, hey, God, what was the, what's the prostitute's Connie? name? No, I, I think was it was Connie. Connie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I thought, I thought I they had an affair. I thought they were having a long term affair. I, that, that, they no, weren't. No, they never did. No, I think that was so, like the, they they didn't have an affair, and I think that was an intentional decision. To show that Vic was a, you know, he he had a, a, you know, a glimpse of morality, some some grain of goodness within him that he would care for this woman, despite like no sexual interest, no, no, no there's there's nothing he could gain from her. He's just being nice out of the goodness of his heart, and he helps to does he help? I think he helps to like uh, set up a murder or no, she kills one of her Johns in a hotel room or a motel room, and then Vic uh, sets it up to look like self defense. So yeah, he he didn't get anything out of this other than uh, sympathy for this for this person. Uh, At some point, I remember someone says like, "What do we have with him? It's more than sex, or it's better than sex." I I really thought they were. I really thought they were. Maybe doing stuff. maybe she said something like, "It's more than that," but it, I think she was just saying like, "There's an emotional connection." That. Uh, or it's a, uh, you know, no, no, no. That was just a, an add-on, last-minute add-on because because Vic was too, like too too monstrous for for a typical American in 2002 to fully get on board with. I think all these guys, uh, I, I know they have this concern. I think they probably could push these characters a lot further. I mean, mm. like even Scarface, right? Like, I think they could. This I, this goes to the this goes to the, the my, my Nietzschean thing. Um, like, I think we're so starved for Superman stories 
um, that you, you could actually you could actually push these to be a lot darker. I think, well, training day, okay, I'll give you an example. Training Day, right? So, mm-hmm. so Training Day is the movie that immediately preceded The Shield. Um, and Training Day was also based on the Rampart scandal. Um, and actually, it was more true to life because Denzel played a character named Alonso Harris. The original, um, you know, kind of uh, Rampart cop was uh, Rafael Perez. So sort of a, a thing there. And then... Um, you know, and then and then uh, you know the, the Denzel character in Training Day, Alonzo like pushed things a lot. For, I would I would argue, I think, a lot further than Vic did. Yeah. Uh, and even still, like for most of the movie, you're definitely rooting for uh, you know you're definitely rooting <laughs> for Alonzo. Right? So yeah, yeah, but like, these are I mean they're super charismatic characters though, right? Like Denzel, De- yeah, Denzel as as Alonzo and uh, and Michael Chiklis as Vic. I mean, it's it's impossible not to you know not to get caught up in their their their, their sort of that that level of comp- confidence and competence you know just right. being good at your job uh being able to get out of any situation uh having right. having a very close relationship with with criminals in the streets and like, i actually don't think vic is even portrayed as like um whatever richard like how did you put it just like like a reasonably uh racist or something like i think vic is actually not i don't think he's racist at all i think he's he's yeah. you, you very like clearly see him build relationships with criminals and, and he doesn't hold any racial ad- like shane is clearly racist like shane has multiple you know we can get into that too but i think vic is just like a you know a very uh street savvy officer who you know he understands the reality and actually the guy who trains vic interestingly is um What's the guy's name? Apollo Creed, that the, the, that guy uh, who plays Apollo Creed, the black guy. Um, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. He returns for an episode uh, and uh, is understood to be Vic's mentor when Vic was a young officer, right? Carl Weathers' character was a senior, or no, no, he he was forced to resign or retire or something because he himself had committed, a, a, you know, a bunch of uh, brutal acts as a police officer. He was, yeah, fired or something, and and Vic actually learned from him, and they're, they still maintain close relationship, and the Carl Weathers character actually tries to get Vic involved in some kind of criminal enterprise, and I think Vic has to, has to decline. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I understand Vic's... Uh, the the intrigue around him and the charisma, but I, I don't think that um, that you're you know the 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 intent is for you to say like I'll this tell is, you know, one, this is I'll tell you the one thing besides besides Crowley the one thing where I thought he went like every every decision is always some balance of take care of my family take care of my bed and like stop crime which he doesn't need to do right what he doesn't care about is his rules his you know legal procedure um, but when they robbed the Armenian money train. That was, there was no greater good. That was just simply, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get our money. Now you, you could sort of think about it like these guys, you know, it did have terrible consequences. So they were maybe too reckless and they're, you know, they're getting, uh, they're getting, uh, you know, people hurt. Um, but yeah, that you could also look at that as like sort of justified payday, right? It is better to go to the politicians and, you know, the whatever, where, where does money go when it gets seized? You know, some useless LA, you know, city program. Um, but I, I do think the, uh, you know, it's so sad. Like you always talk about like Overman, like at the end when he gets his job with, uh, is it ICE or DH, DHS, whatever, it's whatever ice. it is. It's ice. Ice. It's, it's, sure. it's ice. And then he gets, uh, you know, it's like the contract is like $60,000 a year. And I'm just like, sometimes these money, like these amounts of money, these guys are like doing it for. It's like, this guy is like, you know, this guy is keeping Los Angeles safe. He doesn't seem to be compensated enough. His dream is just a $60,000 a year job. Like that's what he needs to be, to be secure. And he's struggling. And it's sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, they're ridiculously underpaid for these guys are ridiculously underpaid for what they do. But like some of these guys do nothing and they're overpaid, right? It's like, it's like, it's like government. The incentives are just screwed up here. 
Well, I think the money train is like the, the show right before they robbed the money train, it did sort of increasingly portray uh, like Vic being financially strapped because he has the two autistic kids and they need, uh, you know, they need therapy and medical treatment. And I think they want to send them to some kind of special school. And Corinne is on his case about this. And so, yeah, I think that uh, that that factored in, too. And and these are these are like, you know, reasonable, sympathetic reasons for Vic to, to want to, you know, rob rob these criminals. Right. Like yeah, no one cares about like the you know, Armenians being being, you know, this this yeah. criminal gang being being robbed so but that was like that was sort of the beginning of the end right the money train issue i think that kind of led to the unraveling of the strike team yeah yeah that yeah, turned, it, that, that turned them into an ash incredible gang i think was the intent which which is when it pulled off and then they and then that led to them turning yeah what's i think two yeah. of the three kids have autism that's like statistically not very high and i don't think i don't think you're supposed to think it's like because Vic did it to them because the girl, when she gets diagnosed, is like two years old or something. So you're supposed to think it's genetic. And then when, um, Corinne goes and confronts Danny at the end and she's like, you know, just so you know, Corinne tells her, you know, two of my three kids has autism. And, you know, it's like Danny's like, and they, they say like, who has a defective gene? Like, I don't, you don't know if it's me or Vic. So like, be careful. So it might be Vic. So like, it's heavily implied that this is genetic. Like, I don't know. Is Vic like an autist or is Corinne like seem like an, like an autist? I mean, why, why are they, why are they passing down these genes? Vic's on the spectrum and that, that explains, uh, yeah, he's neurodivergent. He's Vic is a neurodivergent man. He explains his, his actions throughout the show. It, it, it excuses them actually. Uh, yeah, that, uh, does Vic, he, well, okay. So, so Danny, I mean, the, the affair with Danny, that was, I mean, Vic has multiple affairs throughout the show too. And was that like, was that like, what, what was the reasoning there for his character? Right. Like if, if you're supposed to like, does that fit into like the Nietzschean Uberman or Overman story sure. of, of just Vic take like, what, what is like, how does that fit in? I guess of, of Vic having I affairs. Mean, so, so the, yeah. I mean, the, every, every, right. Every Superman story has the, the Superman yeah. takes what he wants. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but, but then that's, does, does he express contrition and guilt? Though? Like Vic is like upset. Like there's there's a very sad scene where once like once the house is empty, Corinne takes the kids and leaves. Like Vic is like microwaving a TV dinner and standing in his kitchen, and and Aceveda drops by and talks to him. And Vic is clearly unhappy here. So I guess you know the the Overman has has feelings too. You know, like if his wife lives in a Christian culture, he's trying to fit in. Okay. He's trying to he's trying he's trying to have a bourgeois life. Like, but it's yeah. not it's not he's, he's the super he's the Superman. It's not the Overman needs a TV dinner, and okay, yeah, yeah I mean, hits the hits the streets, <laughs> right? Like, there's there's gangbangers to take out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He doesn't even like he's he's upset in that one scene, but then after that, he does like get over it and get right back to his job and doesn't really think <laughs> twice about it and. Sleeps with that hot dog trainer, so yeah, okay, yeah. all right, you know. Yeah. The the blonde woman, uh, <laughs> she trains the the police canine unit. And uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I, think I remember. And Vic's like, hey, you yeah. still got that boyfriend? You know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's always on the he's always on the prowl. Yeah, like and the and the way the show ends. Yeah, the show, the show. It's him on the prowl. He he picks up his gun and he's he's looking for trouble. He's looking to be useful. Sure. He's not he's not staying in that desk. He didn't last one day. Uh, sitting at that desk, he's 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 out to find some fun. He's a shark, right? Well, yeah. he also sleeps yeah. with Kavanaugh's wife or ex-wife. Kavanaugh's ex-wife, yeah, right? yeah. sweet sweet oh, butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, is yeah, that so? So is Vic? Vic is very charismatic, but is, is it like so? So 
because like he's never turned down like you never see him like uh like dutch right dutch is repeatedly shot down you see like every date for him goes wrong you know like it's just one one thing after another with him the way a man like Vic is shot down is the way different from the way dutch is shot down and like you know he'll just like hit on a girl like say something and then she'll like you know ignore him and then he'll laugh it off right well dutch if he wants a girl he's like he makes her sort of reject him right it's sort of a yeah i I think that these are these are sort of different different types but yeah uh yeah there was there was a nice twist by the way i didn't notice it's the first time i watched it but i just i watched it started rewatching the finale which is um the um in the in the last episode dutch finally gets game um, yeah, 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 yeah. That was the one. Uh, oh. yeah. with, with, with no awareness, with no awareness that he's doing it at the time, right? Because and because because all he's doing is, is is exhibiting contempt for a lawyer, um, and, it, and it turns out it works. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was great. No, you're right. You're wait, right about that. Wait, what, 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 what were the circumstances around that? Was that with the, uh, the Hispanic the young? The, do you remember Billings, the the partner Billings who was lawyer. lawsuit that his lawyer comes down to talk to. Dutch and Dutch ends up getting her number uh, by playing it cool, basically. And doesn't even realize it. They, they, Dutch basically, Dutch is so Dutch is so good at his, at his game that he's totally unaware of that he gets her number and he doesn't even realize. He thinks she's trying to like represent him or something. Oh, and she's that's just, he's right. just like whatever. And then Danny walks over and is like, "Ah, you've been working on your game." <laughs> and yeah, I remember this. And now. he's like, "Oh, <laughs> it's like, just, it worked." Yeah, well, we thought, we yeah, thought yeah. Dutch was. I mean, this, this, so there was like talk that like one of the writers wanted to make Dutch a serial killer in the end, and it looked like we were heading in that direction. But it was a much more uh, a much more pedestrian arc where he just ended up, yeah, getting a girl's getting a girl's number. Uh, yeah. the, the so let's talk about. <clears throat> I want to talk yeah. about the the Vedral the Vedral thing because that that hit me so hard. I, I cried. I, I I have not cried watching a show. I can't even remember the last time. I have children about the same age. So I have a, I, I know what it's like mm-hmm. to have a pregnant wife and a toddler at the same time. It was me very recently. And Mara, you, you start, you start out hating Mara, right? You, you start out, you just, you just hate the woman. She's ruining this all awesome, these, this crew of band of brothers that are keeping the streets safe that are so romantic. And she just comes in and nags him to death and is just, you know, terrible. And l- later on, you know, she becomes like, a, first of all, she's redeemed to a large extent. She was right that Shane needed to get away from Vic. And then she's just like loyal to the end. She's pregnant. She breaks her collarbone. She goes, she kills, she kills for, uh, Shane. She, um, you know, she's, uh, she doesn't want, she says the family's not going to split up. She I mean, she's a devoted, she's suffering. She's a devoted wife. She's a devoted mother in the end. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for them and I, I want them to make it. And then, oh my God, my God. He just, he, he, I, I don't know. That was, that, that, hit, that, <laughs> that hit me hard. So, you know, what did you, what did you guys, what did you guys think about the Shades ending? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was surprised by it. Like it was, it was, I mean, in, in hindsight, it's not that, uh, it's not completely unexpected, but in the moment, I didn't actually, you know, anticipate Shane. Like, he didn't seem like the kind of guy who would kill his own family, right? Like, maybe himself or, you know, it, it just seemed very, I don't know, a little out of character at, at, at first for him to, to have killed Mara and the kids and then himself. And well, the, 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 like, the, 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 yeah. yeah. So they remember, were though, the pro- remember though the problem. Remember though the problem is she was going to go to prison. Also, they were both going to go to prison. Yeah, but he thought that. Fought, like, did he make? Well, I guess like Richard, you he, sent he, me that that link about like was Mara in on it the whole time. But for for Shane to make the decision himself, like I'd rather no, kill no, no. my wife than see her go to prison. 
Because he spent the whole well, thing, I think it's, it's, he spent the whole episode trying to get a deal. The, the finale. He spent the whole thing trying to get a deal for her, get her off the hook for when she she killed the person uh, in, the, in the, the, the previous episode, and um, and he was unable to do so, right? Um, and so the, the turning point was when he had the phone call <laughs> we, with Vic. One of the fun things about the episode was we we uh, relearned the, how uh, L.A. Uh, phone booths, public phone booths, are apparently indestructible because um, yeah. he's just like pounding the shit out of the phone booth, um, which is you know a classic classic <laughs> thing, but. Um, he, he did that call with the lawyer and the lawyer's like, yeah, there's no deal. And then he goes and gives the girl, right. The, the money, um, in the convenience store. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's when he, and then, so that, so then he's, so then once he's staring down the barrel of, he's going to prison, she's going to prison, she's going to give birth in prison. And then both of the kids are going to go into the foster system. Right. Yeah. And he's got no connections, no hookups, no nothing. And the so foster, I, you know, I, I, yeah. Yeah, the foster so system. Yeah, they were horrified by foster. Yeah, they they were they were talking about the beginning of the episode like foster. Like, and she's like, I can't go to jail. Like, so it's sort of like it's sort of she was. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they were explicitly in on it or she was sort of hinting at him. But I, you know, I don't. I don't know. Um, the uh, yeah, the uh, you know, Vic sort of. You, you sort of think Vic. I you know, maybe he does it because Vic. Like at the end, like ah, oh, I'll send you a postcard from Space Mountain. I'm gonna visit your kids. All right, I hated Vic at, the, at that moment. Right. It was like yeah. Vic would like go and like, you know, hang out with his kids or I don't know if literally he thought Vic would actually do that, but it was like, you know, Vic was gonna, you know, Vic was gonna get off. He was gonna get off with the whole thing. Um, you know, I kept thinking at the end there was like a possible for a deal. Like if Shade and Vic could have like what, even after, uh, Shade like sent that guy to come, they could have, I, I think they could have worked it out. I mean, I think this, they could have been like, Vic could have been like, you know, we'll work together. You know, we'll, you, you still haven't ratted on us. We haven't ratted on you. You know, we had that black guy incriminating you who you sent to kill Roddy. We'll just work it out. So we'll say like, this is like a sting operation. And like, you know, they could have worked. I think they could have worked something out if Vic could have forgiven Shade for killing Lem, right? There was, he had to, he had to get vengeance. Uh, he had to get vengeance for that. Um, and then the, uh, yeah, but he, but he killed, you know, when he kills the son with a little police car, he gives him the police car because like his daddy was like a cop. He must be so proud of him. And he, he gives him that as, as his dad is killing him. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's tough to watch. And then the, uh, and then the, uh, um, yeah, that he well, that he that he commits. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, well, some, <laughs> something that just occurred to me, and now it it actually it actually helps me to to understand. Maybe it is in Shane's character to have done that because Shane does take it upon himself to kill Lem, right? He doesn't consult yeah. Vic. He doesn't consult the other strike team members. It it seems somewhat impulsive on his part too to do this. Yeah. Uh, he was you know uh, uh, considering the consequences and looking out for himself and kills Lem. And so I guess that does fit with his character to to also do the same to his family and to himself. Yeah. He folds um, under pressure. But he does yeah, that. He folds under pressure. He has that in him. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it does. It does that. That helps to to understand his character more. Um, Plus, he's really yeah. drugged out at the end. You know, Mara's like, "Why are you doing all this?" He's like, "Oh, I need to have energy. You know, I need to go fight." You know, but he's like, he's you know, he's snorting whatever coke or or meth or or, or whatever. You know, he could, <laughs> like with his last yeah. flirt with that Asian girl, that underage Asian girl, and he just gives her he, the money. Wait, you know, he, 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 
Did he uh, and the Asian girl? Did they? Did they do any? Was it? Did he just give her money, no, no, or did that turn a, into a, a, a cashier? And he's like, "Honey, you yeah. old enough to be working here?" She's like, "I'm 16, dirty old man." And he's like, "You know yeah. what you study?" She's like, AP Kev's like a college girl. Then he gives her like this stack of twenties. He's like, "Well, it's like that's too much." He's like, "You know, if you ever take your nose out of a book, like maybe you'll go have some fun." All right, it's just like this oh, Asian yeah. girl, like <laughs> dirty work at the end. I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. Okay, okay. No, um, it was, it was, it was, I just remember this. That yeah, was just he, he was capitulated. That was he didn't need money anymore. Like he was he made it, he had yeah, made his yeah. decision. He, yeah, okay. Yeah. So so that was yeah, to help us to understand that. Well, okay. I, I thought that uh like the whole uh cult like the collapse of the, the Vic Shane friendship was was very well done because if you if you think about the earlier episodes, like the early season, like they were so tight and Shane like did keep his mouth shut about Terry Crowley under under intense pressure right like we talk about how shane will fold under pressure there was that scene i think in the second episode where aceveda takes shane into the interrogation room and he's like i know like i know you and vic killed terry crowley and he's right it's right in his face and and shane is actually terrified you can see in his eyes like he's he's this close to breaking but he doesn't right like that's how much he values uh uh vic's friendship and how much he trusts vic to get them to, you know to, to get them out of this uh but what breaks them is is a, a beautiful woman Right. Like Shane falls in love with Mara, who is, you know, not not the most sympathetic character, but she is very pretty and a little bit loopy herself. And Shane is kind of crazy. And so together, like that was just like a toxic cocktail between the two of them. And that was that was basically like very realistic. Like what could break up a friendship between between two, you know, men, brothers who had been through all of this together? You know, it's got to be it's got to be a woman. It's got to be a relationship. Right. Well, the other thing the show does a really good job of showing, right, is something that's become very unfashionable, right, which is the, the Band of Brothers thing, right? So a, a group of men on a mission together, you know, with no, you know, no homosexual overtones, no just like full on, you know, full straight up male bonding pack, you know, behavior with a clear leader and the, and the wingmen and like, you know, that whole thing. And yeah, and then the... I thought the Mara character, like, you know, that, that's a cliche, right? But like that, that character was, I just thought outstanding, like just incredibly fantastically realized, like mm. such the extreme version of the kind of woman who would break up the band of brothers, right? Like just like it's max to 10 on every front. <laughs> uh, so I thought, I thought it was a great, it was a great yeah. portrayal, both of that masculine bonding effect and then, you know, that sort of hunting party thing on the one hand. Um, yeah. and then, yeah, detonation effect of the, of the, of, of the, uh, the wrong woman at the wrong time. But yeah, at the beginning, you don't, I mean, at the beginning, uh, like when he's first involved with her, you don't see like the nobility. You don't see why Shane would like be so enamored with her. But I think that last season, I mean, the last, uh, you know, when they're running together, I think you, I think you see it. I, I think there's something, she's redeemed in my eyes. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I, I thought she was a, it was just such a, such a beautiful arc. And then, yeah, she, and, then she, and then she passes away. Although I was reading some people on Reddit and they were speculating that she was actually in on it because they were making a good point. It's like, how easy is it to, you know, we, we I went back and watched the episode to see where Shane got the poison. Like we, we never see like what he has. Like you have, must have something that's odorless that kills someone uh, peacefully. And that doesn't have, any, you know, doesn't have any taste and doesn't have any, um, you know, doesn't have any, uh, uh, visual evidence when you give it to somebody. Like, that's, doesn't seem like the easiest thing in the world to do. But something, I think they made a reference that it was the painkiller. It was her painkiller, wasn't it? I think they is made a reference. That, is that oh. a peaceful, it, was it? That would, it was that, would take a lot of, that would take a lot. Her, you would, you, you would need a lot her pain of pain meds in the, in the water, right? But they, that, really? that has a first of all, well, first that has a taste that has a real, that has a real taste. So he could have, so this she was would Mara's painkillers. 
I think so. I, they, they made some. Uh, they made a reference in the end. Uh, there was there was some reference in the in the script. So does that mean that Mara? That, that must mean that Mara was in on it then, or no? They don't show yeah. right. They don't show. They don't show the preparation of the. They don't show the preparation of the poison. They don't show the drinking of it. They just show yeah. the results. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, believable either way, whether he did it on his own or she's in on it, because they're both like unhinged enough to be willing to kill their own kids. Like it, it was, you know, that, you know, that's, I, I, I wouldn't buy any of the other, like Vic doing it. He, I don't think he would do it, but, but Shane and, and Mara, like that, that makes perfect sense to me. Well, the counter argument is she was really out of it. Cause she was in so much pain. She was, you know, she probably dehydrated at that point. Like he had to that's go by true. water. Like, yeah, um, yeah. and so, um, you know, she was not in a position to, you know, to argue, uh, when she got funny tasting water and then, you know, the kids, you know, really young. Yeah. 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 The, 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 yeah, the son. Yeah, poor little little John, for, Yeah, yeah. So she was in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then, then, yeah. Her, yeah. Her pain. Like she's she's like in a in a state of suffering. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then yeah. Either way. Like either way, it, it makes sense. But. By the way, I'd also yeah. say, Richard, I agree, I agree with you. It's, a, it's sort of a cliche, but like the first time I watched the show, I didn't have kids. And so I just like watched it and I was like, okay. And then now, you know, yeah, I've got, you know, we've got a little boy. And yeah. I was like, I, I was just like, I can't. I was just fast forward, like skip, skip, skip. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to subject it's, myself to this. Yeah. I was literally it's like re- not looking at the screen because I didn't want to see it. It's the most. Adrian, it, just, it, it lands, yeah. it lands like catastrophically harder when you actually have a, have a kid like that. Mm. Yeah, every other, uh, you know, every, uh, the pregnant wife too, because the wife is pregnant yeah. and you have a, and you have a kid. And like, I was in the exact yeah. same situation, like, you know, like a, a year ago. Um, and the, and the, uh, you know, it's like, and you wonder, like, sometimes you hear about these things on the news. It's the most unthinkable kind of murder. Every other murder is like so easy, like compared to, compared to that. And you just think, you know, it must be like, you know, Shane was just like out of his mind on drugs. It seems like they, they must have seen some things in the fosters, like they, the foster system to them was like just a kid being tortured all the time. You know, they just say like in passing, like Mara says, you know, they, my mom won't take him. Um, Shane says my family, like we never get the backstory of like why Shane doesn't have any family anywhere who could, who could take his kids, but he just, you know, he just says that. Um, yeah. And you just think, well, there must have been. Another option, but he's like, you know, the end he's like, you know, and then his suicide note is like, uh, you know, and we're always going to be together. We're going to be in heaven. I think he says they're in heaven. I don't think he says I'm in, I'm going to be in heaven. I, I think he doesn't think he's going to be joining them, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much religion, if any, played a part in his decision making, but I found that, I found that pretty interesting. Yeah, they're on my hobby horse, right? So that's, he's, 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 he thinks he has a fallback, right? It, it, as a, he thinks he has a, the, 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 he's not the Superman, but he's a Superman psychic. Um, and in the end, he thinks he has a fallback in Christian religion and in Christian morality, right? Which yeah. sort of lets, lets it, you know, in, in his own mind, lets himself off the hook. Like, and, you know, then there's, you know, multiple, you know, two questions on that. One is just like, you know, you know <laughs> is that real? Like, are they actually going to heaven? But, but even it's just like, there's also just something maybe a little bit, you know, in addition to everything else that's sad about it, there's something sad about the idea that the, that the, the Nietzsche and Superman, at least sidekick would at the, in the end think that he could be saved by Christian morality. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. It seems, I don't know if there was Christian morality because unforgivable sin is suicide. He's going, he's, well, maybe he, maybe he accepts he's going to hell. No, but he said kids, kids, it, it, yeah, yeah. At least for his wife yeah. and kids though, right? Like, yeah. So then if he killed them, then. Then yeah, they Maybe. they have a shot at heaven. He <laughs> does not coming. because he killed them. So well, he so yeah, it could, have, it could be construed as a selfless act. 
He could have repented and then had the suicide by cop. He shoots himself. I think that's an unforgivable sin in most kinds of Christian morality. If he repents for his sins and then gets shot, he could have, uh, but I don't know. I don't know if God would have let him in on that, is on it, that technicality. Is it distasteful to say he did die suicide by cop because he himself is a police officer? So, you know, he got into, he got into Christian heaven. Uh, did, so, so I, I find it interesting in the show that Lem, which was, he was probably at, like of the strike team, the nicest guy, right? Like you see him, like he actually has a conscience. He, I remember, so, so the, when I, when I rewatched it the second, I remember the first time I was, you know, I was 20, I was probably drunk half the time I was watching the show, but I thought the entire time, the whole strike team, they all knew about the, what was going to happen with Terry Crowley and they knew the entire show. Yeah, and then the I second time I watched too. it, I paid much closer attention and I was like, uh, so, so you see in the, in, in the beginning of the second episode of the show, you know, they say, oh, Terry Crowley was shot and he's dead. And, and Lem, like he punches, uh, a window out of a, of a car, like breaks his hand. And I thought that the, the first time I watched the show, I was like, damn, they're really committing to like pretending to be innocent. Yeah. He breaks, you know, he punches, a, a, you know, breaks his hand on a, on a window. But the second time, no, that's really Lem, like actually upset and distressed at the thought of a fellow police officer dying. And so Leb is like, you know, he's he's the the only one with a conscience or the strongest conscience of them, and he, you know, he dies like a very horrible death, uh, you know, with the with the grenade in his lap. Um, so so is this? I guess this could be maybe maybe uh, aligned with uh, the the Nietzschean morality idea of you know if, if you need to get rid of whatever, like like do what you have to do to to advance. And so in that sense. You know, Shay, Shane killing Lem is a is a sort of the same thing as as Vic killing killing Terry. No, well, I mean to the extent, yeah, to the extent that they're still on the Superman track. I mean, if to the extent that they've just become a gang, to the extent that they're just like fully, you know, out for themselves and money, that that makes it a less, at least, you know, interesting Superman arc. But yeah, yeah, and I guess with 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 a Terry Crowley, like he was a he was a mole, he was a rat. Whereas Lem, we didn't we never knew for sure, right? Like Shane Shane did it of his own accord guessing that maybe Lem would, would fold. Whereas Vic had, you know, he had faith in his friend and, and believed that Lem wouldn't, wouldn't crack and wouldn't, uh, wouldn't turn the team in. Yeah. I mean, I, I interpreted um, it as sort of the, the side, the sidekick trying to make the decision that he thought the main guy would make. Um, and, mm. um, you know, and, you know, quite possibly making that decision wrong for the exact reason that he wasn't the main guy. He wasn't actually the, the Superman. Hmm. <laughs> He was, he flew too close to the, flew close, too close to the sun. Yeah. Like he, he tries to tell, you know, yeah, there's one, there's one, uh, confrontation where then, uh, Shane is like, I did what needed to be done. Like, would you know it? And he's like, no, you did it because you're weak. And I think, yeah, that, that she really is sort of highlighted the difference between, between that would be them. the condemnation. I mean, imagine, you know, Genghis Khan, you know, criticizing his lieutenant for unnecessarily killing somebody, right? It's like, no, yeah. you don't get it. Like, you know, you're not, you know, you're, no, you're not being, you're not being the Superman. Yeah, Rodney is also, I mean, at the end, Vic wanted to go kill Mara, you know, pre- Mara while she was pregnant. And then Rodney was like, don't do that. You know, don't do it. I mean, he was trying to talk him at least out of that. Uh, so there was, you know, Rodney had, you know, I, I, you know, I agree with you. Vic in the last two episodes, I'll agree with you, Rob. I think, you know, yeah, everything was understandable until like, I think the last episode like, is, 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 uh, you know, his, uh, hatred of Shade, although justified for what Shade did. I think, you know, was too far. I think he should have, he should have forgiven him. Um, the, uh, 
Yeah, but then, but yeah, Roddy ends up, but it's funny, like these, these, you know, like Roddy and Lem, I didn't even know their names until like, I think third season or something. I mean, they were really in the background. It was just Vic and it was just, uh, Shane. And then, you know, Lemansky has his own thing. And then Roddy doesn't become anyone until like, you know, later oh, on. So season. it's like, yeah, they really bring him back at the end, right? Roddy was like, yeah, really a nobody. I forgot his name too. And then like the final season, I think they bring him in to, to basically, yeah, increase the importance of his character so that it hits you harder when Vic turns him in to save Corinne and the kids. But I don't know. That was a weird thing because like, apparently a lot of people, you know, when I was reading about the reactions to the finale, a lot of people turned on Vic because he betrayed his friend. But to me, it made perfect sense because he was trying to save Corinne and the kids. So that was like, yeah, if you have to choose between, you know, your, your friend and your family, like that was understandable to me. And, but, and, and on the other hand, it was like, Vic's done so many other horrible things. This is like the least of his crimes. So I don't know. No, it's, it's hard to feel bad for Ronnie too. Ronnie was a bad guy. Like Ronnie is, was in the car. So, so this is another thing that surprised me that, that he didn't know about the Terry Crowley murder either. Uh, or he pretended not to know. Ronnie knew all along. Ronnie was portrayed as probably the smartest, like the highest IQ of the four guys, right? Like Ronnie's really good with computers and stuff. And he's like hacking safes and whatever. And in the final, the final season, one of the episodes, He's sitting in the car with Vic and, and basically he says, like, I know, like, I know what happened with Terry. And he says, I wish you would have told me so I could help protect you better. Uh, and so Ronnie was like kind of, you know, quietly in on it all along, despite Vic not knowing about it. So Ronnie was like a very smart and, and clever guy. Uh, and so, yeah, I didn't feel bad for him at all when he was, <laughs> when, uh, when Victor did it. Like he, you know, he, he was in on it all along and, 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 and he was in on all of other, the other strike team, uh, crimes. You're such a Christian, good Christian man, Rob. You're the only, all of us, everyone else, want the rest of the world saw a different show than than you did. You are so yeah. hung up on Crawley. I mean, is Crawley I'm, that great? I, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying to, to, to make the argument that these aren't good guys. Like, you know, they're, they're, they are effective guys. But they're not good. If Sam Bangman Freed was here right now, what would you tell him if he, if he made the case that these, these, these were the best, these were the most effective altruists in all of LA County? Are they effective altruists? I guess in a yeah. sense they are, right? For $50,000 a year, they're, they're just keeping the streets safe, probably saving, you know, uh, thousands of hundreds of lives. I don't know. Like, you know, letting, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like when crime increases, people flee. But with the help of the strike team, they're actually attracting, you know, entrepreneurs and and yeah. uh, and and stimulating the economy indirectly. So, Vic, Vic has a spread. He has a secret spreadsheet where he's doing his utilitarian calculations. <laughs> right? If I if I kill yeah. this one IA guy, I'll save you know a thousand kids from drugs. Yeah, I, I think expected, uh, expected value is clearly positive. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I you know the uh, uh, you know yeah, you have Sam would approve. Sam would Sam would approve. Sam doesn't like rules. Sam likes you know the Sam likes bottom line results. And Sam would Sam would say Vic Mackey is uh yeah maybe I should Sam Bankman Fried's talking to everyone. Maybe I should talk. Maybe I should try to talk to him about the shield. I'll, I'll get his take from the, straight from the source. You do, but yeah. the the um, uh, the um the racial politics. So we 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 touched on this a little bit. You know, did you notice? Did you guys notice at the end like when it's like the first time at the bar? You know, Roddy gets arrested. Vic goes off. There's the, none of the four strike team. And then like, there's a call and they all go out. Like, and, uh, there's like no white males, I think, left in the entire room. It's like, those were all the white male characters and it's all women. What about, what about the, the, what is that girl? The, the, the tiny Hispanic girl that uh, came in. And, Tina. Tina. Her name? Yeah, yeah, she Tina, keeps right? getting like, 
like the female cops keep getting like beaten up or their guns taken away from them. And it's like, it's sort of like, you know, and so you have this thing where it's like, Oh, you know, we need a minority for PC. Oh, we can't have white guys. Like no matter how like good they are busting down doors, you have the, the black community, um, how they're portrayed. Like, uh, when Acevedo's running for mayor and he's like more police. And they're like, I'll tell you something, man, this is the military industrial complex. And they're all like, you know, clapping for this, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the racial politics are very, I think, you know, right wing. I mean, the, the, the message there, I think, is not, you know, not the wire. The wire, I think, is, you know, sort of realistic, but also has a, uh, you know, a center left bent. Um, I think this is a extremely right wing show. So this is my theory. This is my theory of the show, which, which man, again, this maps straight into L.A. politics like this maps into real L.A. politics, by the way, that continue to, 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 to this day. I mean, you, you guys saw that whole thing where the, um, you know, the city council what was the, his, the Hispanic city council people were taped saying bad things about black, black people or whatever. Like, so the, 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 this the racial politics are like alive and well in LA. And so, so my view on this, I didn't get this the first time, but I got, I got this later on. My theory basically is that, right. The actual crash unit, you know, as you're talking about was like black, Hispanic, Puerto Rican. Um, the, um, the, 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 I mentioned the, the training day movie, the character, right? The dead zone movie was named Alonso. So, you know, it's maybe, maybe just black named Alonso or maybe sort of, you know, sort of shades of, you know, maybe uh, one of the parents was Puerto Rican or Hispanic. Um, um, and so, you know, training day kind of actually, training day was actually based on maybe, you know, more of the actual racial politics of LA. Um, the show did, I think, an ex- the way I think about it is it did an explicit trade or see, see what you think of this. It made the dirty cops white. Um, and the trade was it was able to be more raw about everything else. Oh, uh, yeah. Or maybe you could say it made the dirty cops white and it made kind of the moral avatar a black woman. And maybe the combination of those two decisions, right, um, is that it, it, it meant that the portrayal of what was happening on the streets could be a lot more raw. Because obviously, if that show, if the show were being made today, like you, you could not have a, a lot of the stuff that happened in the streets, like you, you could not do it the way that they did it in this, you know, it was 20 years ago, but it was only 20 years ago. That makes um, sense yeah. to me. Right. And so, so anyway, like Richard, Richard, your theory, it's it would be like it was the decision to flip the race of the dirty cops, and then that enabled it to be right wing in sort of every other respect. Yeah, but they're but they're also yeah. So I think that's that's right. I don't know if a lot. I mean, they, you could have a black, you could have black cops, and then it's black cops are you know morally ambivalent, and then you you know are bad people, and then you have the criminal. Yeah, I guess then the cops would be bad, and then the criminals would be bad and everyone would be bad and they would be black. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. That that's hard to, that's hard to do. Or, or all the, I mean, look, if you made the show today, it would all be white. They'd be crack. They'd be white gangs, right? It'd be all the gangs would be white, right? Yeah. It would be, it would be, it would be silly, right? Yeah. It would be, it would be hard to, whereas, hard to whereas in, in, in the world of the show, the gang, the, you know, at least many of the gangs are either, you know, black or Hispanic. And so they're able yeah. to, which, which by they the way, have, you know, it's just, they like, did have the one with the, the they had a uh, one K town, a uh, Korea town episode where, uh, uh, you know, there was this guy and like they wouldn't talk to the cops. I don't know how often that happens because they keep out the black and the Hispanic gangbangers. I don't know how much, how often that is in Korea that happens in Korea to how many shootings are, but yeah, they did have that one, but you're right. The vast majority is Mexican cartels. It's, it's black criminals. Uh, there's no, there is no white street gangs. It, it's so, yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, it's well, Armenians, I mean, I guess you could argue. Yeah, the Armenians. The, the, um, yeah, I think they had like a couple of run-ins with like the Irish mob or something, which seemed, uh, a little, you know. Well, they okay, framed fine. the guy for me. Didn't yeah. they frame that guy? He was like, uh, had a connection with the Irish mob or something with the Armenian money. Yeah. Was that, tried was that, to pin the money train thing on him. I think that's right. Yeah. I forgot his name, yeah, like O'Brien or something. 
Yeah, so it's, it's telling the truth about the cops, but also about the political class, right? All they care about is like, you know, demographic representation. Like even like they don't, you know, they don't, people don't really care if like, you know, the, the crime goes up or down. They're easily led away by like, you know, especially in the last episode that that guy who's just like a demagogue who just is like an Al Sharpton kind of figure, you know, you're, he gets shot and he gets killed, but you figure like he, he's like has Antoine Mitchell, like, you know, the, the streets love Antoine Mitchell, right? He's another one of these, you know, street heroes. So you know, yeah, the community and the politics and the criminals are all portrayed as like sort of dysfunctional um and yeah it's these white cops which you say are which you guys i mean you know yeah i mean yeah have flaws but really the only ones who are willing to make any kind of sacrifice for the community i mean Acevedo is not personally sacrificing himself um you know the you know claudette is just wants a desk job where she follows the rules uh, you know, Anton Mitchell is not a good guy. You know, maybe they, maybe they all like justify to themselves that they're Vic Mackey's in their own way, right? They're all like, you know, I'm the guy who's going to keep order. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's clear, it's clearly, you know, it's right wing because if I'm right, that we were supposed to see the show through the strike team and to see their dilemma and see like the situation that they're in and root for them. Yeah. That, that makes it even more right wing. I mean, it's like, it gives a plausible deniability. Oh, Wikipedia summary, you know, white, white corrupt cops. You watch it and it's like, these are the, you know, these are the heroes and everything else is just a, just a nightmare in the city. Oh, and the show is set in, you know, it's set, it's set in a fictional, you know, Farmington, but it's set in, you know, in fact, it's effectively set in Compton Carson, you know, that area, Inglewood. Um, and, um, you know, and the, and there's very specific problem in that, in, in that area today is these, you know, these gangs. Um, like it's, you know, it's like yeah. full on. Yeah. It's, 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 to, oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say that the, the show tries to balance this out. Like, I agree that, like, generally the show is, I mean, to me, the show is just very honest, which kind of by default <laughs> makes it right wing. But, but the, uh, the, the show does try to balance things out with, um, with the, the Dutch Claudette dynamic such that, you know, almost every single killer they're trying to catch, uh, or suspect they're interrogating. It's always a white guy, right? It's like either like a, a like a, you know, businessman who is also a child molester. Or, you know, I don't know how many serial killers are in L.A., but it seemed like Dutch was constantly chasing serial killers throughout with his, you know, criminological profiling schemes. And, yeah, so they had to, like, balance it out where, okay, so so many of the criminals that the strike team are chasing down are black and Hispanic. But then, you know, there's also these other, you know, there's also these white guys who are molesting kids and, and you know, stacking bodies up in their backyard. And so they have to, you know, they had to have some kind of some kind of a balance there. Um, well, it is. And it is true. I mean, look, it, it is true that the famous serial, serial killers have tended to be white, right? Like Ted Bundy, right? And so forth. Well, Charles the Manson. famous ones, but well, Richard, you well, have one. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that are widely reported on, but there are some others that are, you know, right. non-white. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Me and Rob just did a three part, I think three episodes on the Jeffrey Dahmer miniseries. And yeah, we talked about everything, everything serial killer. Yeah. I think blacks are represented <laughs> at least at the level of their representation of the population, not as much as, you know, other kinds of crime, but yeah. Yeah, the, the idea that they're all white is uh, mm-hmm. sort but, of a... Or maybe many more black serial killers, but due to systemic racism in our society, they do not become famous. Correct. Correct. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah, actually, yeah. That is actually unironically <laughs> true. That is like the <laughs> one, you know, criticism of like a race society. It is well, true. We don't pay, we don't pay attention. The world yeah, are more correct than the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's, the, where's the Netflix series on, yeah, on, on the black serial killers, man? Why are we talking exactly. about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, 40 years later, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought that, yeah, it's a, it's a very sort of Hobbesian show to me. Just like, you know, this war of all against all would break out if you didn't have, 
you know, some, some semblance of order, which looks very ugly if you didn't have this, you know, this Leviathan or you're, 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 you're talking about like, uh, Rothbard, right? Like you need to have, uh, like what the monopoly on violence, one, one group that has, has the most sort of capability. Otherwise the gangs would all just sort of run over each other and kill each other constantly. Yeah, which yeah. is when this was so amazing and sort of so amazing. We're kind of rewatching it now. Is it is literally what's happening right now, right? Yeah. The, the the state the state in Los Angeles and as you guys know, many other American cities, the state has ceded its monopoly on violence. It has just simply decided that it's not going to exercise it, and the crime is going absolutely bananas. Yeah. Um, and it is you know it is it is a state of nature. Like there, it is things are very very bad in the area of LA that the show is set in today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are back to the exact moral dilemma that you're talking about. Um, and you know, it's either going to devolve into just flat, you know, horrible anarchy, or you know, at some point, somebody is going to green light a Vic Mackey. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, you are creating Vic Mackey liberals. You, you've been warned. Those, by are, two, I mean, those are the two options. I mean, those are the two options, right? Um, and so, I mean, there's another broader thing I, I think about a lot, right? Which is like our culture is so incredibly like 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 left wing overall, and you know, led, led all these these sort of policies and so forth, but like. You know, the sort of defining genre of the last 20 years in popular entertainment has been, you know, the superhero movie. Um, and, you know, all the superhero movies and shows, right, are all kind of inherently right wing because they're all they all kind of propose that the existing system of maintaining law and order doesn't work. And you need this, you know, you, you need, you, you know, you need this Nietzschean figure. You need this, you know, whether it's like Batman, you know, who, who does the work the cops won't do or whether it's like a literal god in the form of Thor to come in and assert himself, but you, you need some external force to come in on top of the social compact um, to restore order. And so there is this incredible strain. I mean, it's a cartoonish strain, but there is this strain of right, right, right wing morality that's sort of embedded in all these. And, you know, if you want to squint, you could say Vic Mackey is the superhero of the streets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which again, is an inherently right wing concept. Um, and so, you know, there is something like, maybe take it from another angle. When Dirty Harry, like, you know, Dirty Harry came out, I think the year I was born, 1971, so I don't I don't remember what the reception was at the time, but at least reading about it after the fact, it's a little bit like people were like, well, you know, maybe he's the, right. He maybe you know, Dirty Harry's the bad guy. You know, he's torturing the suspect in the stadium, like he's doing the things you know that you're not supposed to do. But you know, that was when there was the beginning of the massive crime wave, um, and you know, it's the same thing. Like people root for Dirty Harry; he does the things that the system won't do. Um, you know, th- this does seem like a perennial theme that just keeps popping back up because it. it at some, at at a deep primal level, at a deep primal level, we may say that we want all these rules, and we may, we may want everybody to be Mirandized, and we may want everybody to be able to get out of technicalities, and to not, you know, put criminals in jail and all the rest of it. But like we 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 are in the end, we are simply not willing to tolerate the chaos that results. But we don't Do even it. say we want all that stuff because if you look at like the tough on crime messages, I mean, those are the things that like if you look at people who've studied like ads in the last election cycle, like the kind of message like for Democrats or Republicans, like being tough on crime actually works. Now, it's like there's a big difference between like what like people's instincts are. You can look at it and how people vote in pop culture uh, versus sort of. It's, you know, it's been captured, you know, the entire sort of area of criminal justice has been captured by people of a certain ideology and, you know, not even like right wing people now say get rid of Miranda rights or whatever. It's just been so, uh, normalized that that's like, you know, we accept it. It's like we've moved so far left and we, we want the delusion that all this stuff is consistent with, you know, safe streets in the American context and you could have all the war and court stuff and you can have, you know, if you just give people, you know, enough, uh, you know, you get rid of systemic racism or you just redistribute, uh, income enough. Oh, look at look at Scandinavia! Look how little look how little crime they have. But you know, we don't want to acknowledge that there's actually there's a real trade off here, right? It's it's not just it's it, we can't have everything at least in the American context. 
Well, LA, I guess the challenge I'd make to your argument, though, is LA, we, we did, in LA, we did just relitigate this, and it was very clear. The, mayor, the mayoral, mayoral release in LA was all about crime and criminal justice reform, and you had one candidate who was very much going to go back to the older model of actually enforcing laws and empowering the cops, and you had the other candidate who was very much on board with criminal. I mean, it, it was the well, theme I, of the I mean, election. I, mean, I, Karen Bass, I mean, I re- saw, read some of Karen Bass, but she doesn't come out and say, I am for more rights for a criminal, right? It's like she just, she does not as enthusiastic as Caruso, right? Like I, I would bet that if you just listen to Bass's statements, like the average citizen can't tell like that, you know, she's going to be the more, uh, more, uh, you know, easier on crime candidate. I, I don't, I think that they, I don't think they make it that easy for the voter. Mm, give me, okay. give me a quote. We'll give me some, probably something. What, what has she said? That's like so. Like the voter well, would hear. Yeah, I'll, I'll look up her quotes. It was, it was just, it was very clearly. I, I, I thought it was very clearly coded in the election. Um, yeah, I that so, I mean, you're a smart guy. I mean, maybe not to everybody, right? It was like some people would have. Well, if there's also in, in, maybe in, fair, in fairness, maybe in defense of what you're saying, there, you know, again, LA racial racial politics are alive and well. Um, yeah. and there was, you know, there was a, a very big, uh, you know, racial difference between the candidates, and so maybe, maybe that, maybe that trumped everything, but. <laughs> The result of it is going to be a recreation of the conditions. Who, who, what is the, what is the ethnic background of the, the winner of the, uh, Karen Bass. She's a black woman. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Kamala, right. Kamala just swore her in. So oh, yeah. Kamala just swore her in, um, in public, uh, you know, big public event last night, um, outdoors, uh, with everybody wearing masks. Okay. Good. Oh, good. beautiful. You know, okay. So we have, case, a, you know, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a prediction from Mark. There's going to be a, a increasing crime in LA. And we are going oh, to get a snacky on some, uh, yeah, yeah that's something down, down the line. I mean, I, I just, yeah, it's just a question for sure. We're, I mean, look, crime is incredibly elevated now. It will continue. I don't know how much worse it gets. It's pretty bad now. Um, I think it probably gets worse. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then does Vic Mackey show up at, you know, next year or five years or 20 years that I have no idea, yeah. but I'm pretty sure he's coming. Oh, 2022. You're right. Mark 2022 had the highest number of murders in LA, uh, since, uh, 2007. So we, we just had a, we just hit something like a 15 year, 15 year nice. high. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. So and, and again, those are those are probably sandbag numbers. It's they're probably substantially higher. Well, murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, murder. You can't you can't hide murder, right? I mean, that's that's the one that's honest. Maybe some right? died of other... COVID, Richard. Maybe maybe they died of COVID. You know, <laughs> well, I see. Yeah, I mean, they have. The I think there are parts of LA. I think there are parts of LA where there is not an accounting on who lives and who dies. Um, I'll just I'll just say that. Hmm. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. That's. Yeah, that's yeah. I didn't. I would. I believe it. And uh, <laughs> there was a time story about Louisiana, like releasing people, but then people like staying in jail just because like the paperwork doesn't get like uh, passed through. I could believe that in like you know rural Louisiana, Mississippi. Maybe I underestimate or overestimate whatever Los Angeles. Of LA. Maybe. <laughs> Mark has a very darker view of our, our uh, county. Okay. Well. Yeah, this was this was great. Are, are is, uh, Mark, uh, you've uh, any uh, recommendations, shows, movies, documentaries about uh, crime, L.A., the Ramparts scandal? We'll put it all in the show notes. But anything you could think of? Yeah, so there. Look, there's tons and tons of theories. It's one of those things in in L.A. kind of crime lore. The Rampart scandal has become like the Kennedy assassination or something or Manson, where there's like tons and tons of work that's been done, and people have lots of theories. Uh, there's a book called Labyrinth that people like a lot um, that kind of goes through all this stuff um, that might be worth reading. I don't know whether it's accurate or not. Um, as I said, there was this piece in the New Yorker um, about 20 years ago that I thought was, you know, a good outline of the of the situation. Who's the author? What's the title? Do you remember anything about it? Besides, I, uh, I, I can look it up if you want. Um, it's um, and there was a frontline documentary that was based on it. Um, maybe we could put it in, in, in show notes. And then. Um, the the other fiction I'd really recommend, so I mentioned the movie uh, L.A. Confidential. So the novel L.A. Confidential, um, for those of you who haven't read it, written by James Elroy, 
the novel's like 10x the depth of the movie. Um, it's incredibly sprawling in its scope. And El- for those of you who don't know, so James Elroy, I think, is probably the best living American novelist. Um, he has spent his entire life basically writing about Los Angeles and the sort of the sort of dark history of L.A. Um, and uh, he basically he basically lives in in the past. He lives in like 1950s, 1960s L.A. He like basically just like reads newspapers and reconstructs, you know, kind of what happened and then writes these kind of amazing crime novels, political novels. Um, so anyway, so L.A. Confidential really like is a the, the novel is an incredible recreation of, of LAPD and all of these issues um, in the 50s. And then there's a sequel to the immediate sequel novel to LA Confidential is called White Jazz, and it's never been made into a movie. Um, uh, but it's a um, it's a novel about a Vic Mackey character set in the what probably early 60s, um, who is like Vic Mackey on steroids. Hmm. Like it, it, I would say, it's even more extreme. Um, and it's a I think it's a first I think it's like a first person novel through his point of view. Um, and so it's a, I think a quite stark, you know, recreation of the, uh, of the kind of prehistory of all this, you know, of Richard, of, of, of what LAPD was like, at least, you know, as, as portrayed later, uh, in fiction in, in the era before all of the reforms. Um, and so for people who want to kind of immerse in that world, the same way that the shield immerses you in the more modern era, uh, that's, that's where I would go. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. We'll put all that in the show notes. And I, and the frontline documentary, I found, you know, I went to Amazon and I Googled, I searched for, uh, uh, ramparts. I didn't see any good books. You see this lab, labyrinth one. Okay. I'll, I'll look at that one, but I saw well, one I or two. So the, the frontline documentary is called LAPD blues. You know, I found like, um, I found like a webpage for it, but I couldn't find the actual video. LAPD oh, blues. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the video. And then there's a link to, um, it's, yeah, the, the author of the New Yorker piece that this, the documentary is based on. The author is Peter Boyer, B-O-Y-E-R. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Peter Boyer, and uh, New you, Yorker. Well, Peter Boyer, New Yorker, LAPD, um, it pops up. It's a, yeah, it's a, uh, here, the article is called Bad Cops. Um, it's from May 13th, 2001. Um, by Peter J. Boyer. Uh, and it sort of tells the story of this, this character, uh, uh Rafael Perez, who was the first, uh, the first of the, of the crash unit who got arrested. Um, and then, um, and then kind of the unspooling of everything after that. And so at least that, that's the best, like, that's the best, like, uh, article, um, length, uh, description that I found of, of what actually happened. Yeah. Okay. And I'll recommend, uh, this, the recent, uh, New York Times, uh, piece, uh, Mexican, uh, Arrest. Let me just find the title of this that I just, uh, inside the case against general, uh, it's called the, uh, Cid Fuegos affair inside the case that ended the drug war in Mexico. That's by, uh, a guy named, uh, Tim Golden. It was just in the New York Times magazine, uh, uh, this last weekend, I think, uh, mid, uh, mid December. Um, okay. Rob, any, any, uh, movies, uh, shows, yeah. anything uh, around on the topic? Well, so I wrote a piece about the shield, probably the most recent, like long form piece on this show because it's been off the air for what, like 10, 15 years. Uh, it's, it's called, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I titled it after probably the most famous line of the show, good cop and bad cop left for the day. I'm a different kind of cop. Uh, so yeah, just look at my sub stack and, uh, and you'll find that piece and it, it goes a little bit more in depth to, to some of the, some of the points I, I've been making throughout this conversation about the, the complexities of Vic and whether you should be rooting for him or not and what the point of the show is. By, by the okay. way, good cop and bad cop left for the day is a direct Nietzschean illusion, right? Oh, is it? Oh yeah. Beyond, beyond good and evil. All right. Good and evil. Right. right. Interesting. Okay. Maybe good cop, bad cop. What, what is it? Good cop and bad cop left for the day. I'm a different kind of cop. Vic says it in the pilot when, uh, when I think, was it Dutch? Uh, 
asks Vic to help uh, interrogate the uh, suspected child molester. And Vic shows up in the interrogation room with like a, a phone book, like a, a lighter and a can of uh, kerosene or alcohol or something. Right. And uh, later, so there was a deleted scene. I watched this deleted scene. Later, you see the man after Vic is finished interrogating him and he's, and he's uh, shivering in the corner and he's urinated on himself. Uh, so, so yeah, I think they, they cut that out of the, you know, the, uh-huh. the episode on basic cable, maybe a little bit too, too intense. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. This was fun until next time. All right. Good. Thanks for See you guys.